Thanks, Melanie. It's uh, five minutes past 12. This is Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Shortly, we'll be going to Guazul Natal, where the ANC PGC in that province will elect its new provincial leader. This as the current provincial chairperson, Zuelim Kize, was elected as Treasurer General at the ANC. Now he has to vacate that position. But uh, our top story at this hour, we talked to Jan Dilange. He's a, a specialist writer at the Debilled newspaper. Uh, we're hearing that according to that uh, newspaper, ESCOM is selling 9% of its uh, electricity to BHP billetins to aluminium smelters at less than one fifth of the tariff paid by an average consumer. Now, Jan, give us a bit of a background to this story. This has not been an over the counter kind of uh, information. You had to fight to get it. Firstly, why did you have to struggle to get that information? And uh, talk us through the journey itself. As common bulletin, as, as you know, they, they kept it secret on the insistence of bulletin. The bulletins alleged that it was uh, it's a trade secret, and I can believe it's, it's to a certain extent uh, sensitive information. Mm. But uh, we we felt that the, the circumstances in the country has changed to the extent that uh, the public is entitled to access to that information, and we we started proceedings in terms of the Promotion of Action Information Act in. 2009, uh, that turned into a court case, and uh, it, there was a judgment in our favour in August appealing to make sure that this information remains secret. Yeah. But, Jan, just, just unpack it for us. Uh, 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 ESCOM, uh, you know, you and I, we pay 120 uh, per kilowatt hour. In uh, Richards Bay at the Hillside Smelter, for instance, they pay only 22.65 cents for the same con- consumption, and it costs ESCOM 41 cents per kilowatt hour to generate. Uh, are these figures correct? And uh, who, who uh, um, um, p- p- crunched these figures for you? Look, it's, it's, uh, these figures are calculated from a, from a, uh, a formula that is used in the original contracts. There were several contracts to supply electricity to these two smelters, and the others are all based more or less on, on, on that contract. They differ a little, but not completely. Um, they, these contracts were signed. The figures are correct, as I say. Uh, uh, there was an engineer in Cape Town that I got to know in the course of all the searches that uh, who, who made quite a study together with myself mm. about the, these contracts and the impact that they have on, on ESCOM's finances. Mm. Uh, and he's much more, you know, I'm, I'm not a figures person, but he's okay. much more literate in, this, in these respects, and he calculated it for me. It's not, we, ESCOM didn't give us the, the exact figure. We asked for it, but they refused to give us the, the, the exact amount. All right. I, I know this, this deal was signed way back in 1996 uh, by uh, one Alan Morgan, uh, who was then executive director at ESCOM. But how binding is this contract, and for how long is it uh, in place for? This, this is a contract, you know, and it's binding. <laughs> uh, that's the issue, and, and we have to. I think it's the Electricity Act makes provision, states that you know this, there are principles for, for tariffs, and two of those principles are one that that um, a tariff cannot discriminate between uh, consumers, and secondly, a tariff 
must cover the cost of generation. Now, clearly, these costs doesn't cover generation. So, so Eskom applied last year due to all the, the who are about this. They applied to us to review these contracts, and they, the review was held back pending this court case. Mm. So I think we'll very, very soon we'll hear from, from NASA what exactly the position is. I know you need to be somewhere else in the next minutes, but in 30 seconds, maybe just to wrap. Is ESCOM then justified to ask for this 16% uh, 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 tariff increase without really re-looking at some of these contracts? Because the uh, BHP bulletin is but one of many other. Uh, so now we know. Yes. ESCOM, uh, NASA will rule whether they're justified or not. Um, it's customary that large-scale consumers of, of, of electricity pay small, smaller fees than, 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 for instance, residential consumers and, and small businesses. But, but the discrepancy in this case is excessive. That's what I think. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, uh, that's uh, Jan Dilange. He's a specialist writer at uh, the Beeld newspaper, as you heard there. Uh, his newspaper reporting that sells. Uh, ESCOM is selling uh, 9% of its electricity to BHP bulletins to aluminium smelters and they also they're saying here loss making smelters at uh, less than one fifth of uh, the tariff. So that's the story that uh, we carried for you. What do you make of this? You can SMS us 34701 We might add as well that uh, we were promised uh, that uh, Hilary Joffe, a spokesperson at ESCOM will join us but uh, her line is off right now. So we'll keep trying so that uh, we get uh, uh, we give ESCOM an opportunity to respond to this and also talk about many other issues at ESCOM um, uh, there. All right, let's stay with this story right now and uh, let's uh, talk to, uh, let me take a look and see, is it uh, Tembiso Mayabela that we're talking to? No? All right, it's Tembiso Mayabela, I'm told by my producers here. Striking workers at Exaro Mines have until Monday to return to work or face dismissal. This after the company obtained a court order di- uh, direct, uh, directing striking miners to return to work. Uh, Mrs. Tembiso Mayabela, you are on the line. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Perpetua, and to your listeners. Talk us through what's happening now at uh, Exaro Mines. Uh, so uh, I can say that um, we have seen OSA continues to experience an unprecedented number of wildcat strike by mine workers at the gold, platinum and coal sectors and the recent one being of course the wildcat strike um, at Exaro 6 mine at uh, Arnold, Mata, Hrot, Helok, Luepen and Inyanda mines in Limpopo and Bumalanga. And um, we understand that oh, the central issue here is the issue of non-payment and the workers have downed tools whereby they are saying that they are demanding a performance bonus. However, the company maintains that they will not uh, pay, they will not be able to give the mine workers the performance bonus as the operations have failed to produce um, the, the, or met the performance targets. And uh, what's the situation like right now? Uh, Bongi, I can say to your listeners that um, when we spoke to Noom and Exaro, we were told that um, the strike is still continuing and uh, the mine workers are more tenacious than ever uh, despite the court interdict that has been granted uh, by the Labour Court to Exaro to compel the employees to return, work, uh, to return back to work on the 25th uh, of March, uh, which is Monday. And uh, when you talk to management at Exaro, what are they saying? Uh, Bongi, the management at Exaro, they are maintaining that they will not 
uh, or they are not in a position to grant uh, the workers performance bonuses and we have seen talks between uh, or the management was proposing to give the mine workers 2,000 rand on the 19th of this month and then the mine workers rejected the salary, uh, that uh, proposal as saying that they are used or they have been receiving 15,000 rand throughout the years so they, there is no way that they are going to accept the 2,000 rand uh, as a bonus. Thank you very much. Uh, Stambi Somayabela is our reporter uh, in Pumalanga. It's uh, 13 minutes past 12. Just uh, one SMS uh, about that story that we ran earlier as we spoke to Jan Dilange, specialist writer at uh, DPL, about ESCOM uh, selling or allegedly selling 9% of its electricity to BHP bulletins to aluminium smelters at less than one-fifth of the tariff paid by an average consumer. Jackson Ndouli writes, at last we know who the culprits are, yet we are, we as consumers are on daily basis blamed in adverts on radio that we steal electricity. Thank you very much for that. You too can also SMS us 34701, otherwise uh, you can tweet us at Gwala B News. This is a Midday Live on SFM, South Africa's news and information letter. It's 14 minutes past 12. Our top story this hour, a large group of DA members in the Cape Metro is marching to Parliament to call for harsher sentences for those convicted of crimes against women and children. Looking at the markets at this hour, gold is trading at $1,613.40 an ounce. Platinum is trading at $1,581.50 an ounce. The rand is trading at 9 rand 30 against the US dollar at 14.20 to the pound and 12.10 to the euro. They say the next world war won't be fought over political ideologies or social injustices. It won't be fought over race, religion, oil or conflicting viewpoints. The next world war will be fought over something you take for granted every day. Fresh water resources are being threatened. Some by used motor oil. Just one liter of used motor oil can contaminate one million liters of fresh water. So, recycle your used oil. For more information, call the Rose Foundation on 0860 66 72 72. If you're looking for the key to sustainable service delivery in your municipality, then be at the IMFO Audit and Risk in Daba. This year's theme is Good Governance, with a focus on internal controls and fraud prevention measures in municipalities as well as performance management. Book the 8th to the 10th of April 2013 for the IMFO Audit and Risk in Daba at the Lord Charles Hotel Somerset West Cape Town. For more information, go to imfo.co.za and take the next step and join the leaders of municipal finance excellence. Fifteen minutes past twelve. This is Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Let's uh, talk now to Hilary Joffe, the spokesperson at ESCOM. Good afternoon to you, Hilary. Afternoon. Uh, we, we, you heard our story as we spoke to Jan Dilanga there, but also the story is there in the newspapers right now that uh, really uh, ESCOM is selling 9% of its uh, electricity to BHP bulletins to aluminium smelters, loss-making smelters, uh, at less than uh, one-fifth of uh, the tariff paid by an average consumer. Firstly, just just unpack this for us. Are you are you aware of this, and 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 why is this the situation, and and what kind of contracts are, are in place that then dictate that uh, we have this situation? Those contracts go back to the early 1990s uh, when we 
South Africa had a surplus of electricity capacity and prices were very low. And those contracts were signed at that time linking the price that BHP Billiton pays mm. for its electricity to the price of aluminium. Now, of course, the world has changed. Uh, there is no longer surplus capacity anywhere. Um, and our power system is very tight. And for some time now, we have been trying to renegotiate those, that contract with BHP Billiton. We've not succeeded. We have asked the National Energy Regulator, NERSA, to review those contracts. Mm. Um, and while I can't comment on the specifics of the price, um, it is certainly lower than our other large industrial and mining customers are paying. How difficult is it to change that, contra- uh, that contract? As you rightfully put it, situations uh, have changed right now. A contract is a contract, and contracts are, you know, in this country do stand until both parties agree to renegotiate them. So that is really what we've been trying to do with BHP Bulletin, but we have not managed to uh, agree on a new contract um, and that is why we have asked the National Energy Regulator to take a look at the contract and the National Energy Regulator will be following a process in the next few months as I understand it. All right, but uh, obviously contracts are contracts and they're between uh, two or, or those parties that are involved in that contract. But uh, surely ESCOM is a public entity. And, and why was this uh, uh, a secret information such that you had to go to court and BHP Bulletin going to court to make sure that uh, this information is not in, in public? Well, I think it has been a, an important principle um, of contracts that the terms are confidential between the parties. So we don't generally uh, release to the public information on what any individual customer pays us. And that is why originally um, we did not disclose that information. But the court has ruled in Media 24's favor, and we have provided Yan and Media 24 which the information which they requested. Um, And while I can't comment on the calculations of the price, what I could give you is the price which our other large customers pay, which on average is between 56 and 58 cents a kilowatt hour. That is our large industrial and mining customers who are paying the standard Megaflex tariff. That's about the average that they pay. So um, I think I can certainly tell you that BHP Bulletin is not paying as much as that. All right, and, and, and obviously that is based on consumption and, and discounts and stuff. And uh, we might add also that ordinary South Africans uh, pay one run 20. Is, is that correct? Uh, I think that is Media 24's calculation, but it would be true to say that in general, households would be paying more than big industrial users, and that is really because the cost to supply millions of small households and the network infrastructure which is needed and the billing and so on is, is much more costly than it is simply to supply one large customer straight off the grid. So generally speaking, the cost to supply households is higher and the price that they pay is higher. Large industrial and mining households would pay um, less than that simply because the cost to supply them is less. Right. In in the mid-1990s, 1996, thereabout, when uh, this contract was uh, concluded, or earlier than that, uh, with a BHP bulletin, as you're saying, there was surplus of electricity. Are they the only ones, or were they the only ones who were then, who entered into this kind of a contract with yourselves? 
There were, in fact, originally three such contracts which linked the price that um, those customers paid for their electricity to the price of the commodity. Um, uh, so BH, there were two on the BHP bulletin side. Um, the one that um, is at issue that uh, Yandelanga and Media24 have asked about, um, that's the KwaZulu-Natal uh, aluminium smelter that BHP Bulletin has at Richards Bay. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, there was Moselle, BHP Bulletin's aluminium smelter in Mozambique. Now, that contract we have renegotiated already. And there was a third such contract, which was Scorpion Zinc in Namibia, and that one also we have uh, negotiated out of that one. So uh, there were three. We've uh, renegotiated two of them, leaving this remaining one, which we've not succeeded in renegotiating. Now, those are the only such contracts. All our other large mining and industrial customers pay the standard tariff, mostly the Megaflex tariff, which is published in our tariff book and is on our website and is regulated by the National Energy Regulator. Now, uh, Hillary, ESCOM is urging household electricity users to cut their usage by 10% as uh, you're facing a, a shortage in coal supply. Just talk us through that and what is it that you are urging South Africans to do? It's really not... Uh, just the shortage, the potential shortage of coal supply. I think the coal strike is just one of the factors, um, sure. the risk factors, if you like, in the power system at the moment. We have said that the power system is very tight at the moment. Um, we are dealing with a number of challenges on the supply side, and um, we need really to find the space to do a lot of maintenance on our power stations to improve their performance, make them more reliable, ensure that they can provide us with the capacity that we need to meet demand and keep the lights on. So we are asking all South Africans to work with us, to partner with us, to save electricity on a sustainable basis, but also particularly as we go into these winter months, to give attention to the evening peak between 5 o'clock and 9 o'clock in the evening. Mm. Over those hours, you get demand jumping very sharply. Um, It's a real challenge to manage, for us to meet meet demand. And um, if people could just Switch off appliances that you're not using. Shift your usage to another time if possible. That really would be very helpful. And with Earth Hour coming tomorrow night, um, I think it's a reminder for all of us that if we all switch off at the same time, it actually can have an impact. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, that's uh, Hilary Joffe, the spokesperson for ESCOM, urging South Africans to switch off things that you don't need, but also telling us that uh, ESCOM is still talking to BHP Bulletin so that they negotiate that contract that has seen BHP Bulletin paying at least one-fifth of the tariff paid by UNI. Let's go to KZN now. Accreditation for the ANC's KwaZulu-Natal Provincial General Council has started at the University of KwaZulu-Natal in Durban. About 1,000 delegates are expected to converge for the three-day meeting to elect the new provincial chairperson. Let's talk to our senior political reporter in Durban, Zanele Butelezi. Talk us through what is happening right now, Zanele. Yes. Uh, right now, as I mentioned, accreditation process is, uh, is underway, um, and the delegates are busy registering, getting their accreditation. I understand that there are a bit of glitches uh, uh, there, um, especially with regards to media accreditation. Media has not received uh, accredi- uh, reporters that will be covering the, the conference or the PGC have not uh, all been issued with their accreditation. They're busy trying to sort that out. 
but also there are other people um, or delegates that are attending the conference and will be uh, participating in this uh, conference. They're also still trying to get their accreditation. Uh, we're expected to start at 1 o'clock. The opening address by President Jacob Zuma was scheduled for 1 o'clock, but it's, uh, it's highly unlikely that it will get underway at that time uh, as more and more people are still coming in for their accreditation. So the situation right now uh, here at uh, the UK that ends with the campus where the PGC is taking place. And the two uh, contenders, uh, the, the Mkunus, the other one is Senzo, and of course the other one is the MEC for uh, transport right now, Willis. Uh, and uh, the, no one seems to want to be backing down, uh, besides the fact that uh, they were behind the closed doors kind of uh, maneuvering and, uh, and talking to say one of them must, uh, must, must not stand because that has the potential to divide the province. Talk us through that. Yeah, well, it seems like um, it's likely that they will contest for the position of provincial chairperson uh, when uh, when when the, everything gets underway here, uh, the PGC when it starts. Um, I mean, both sides, if you speak to both uh, the well, factions or the groups that are backing them, uh, they all seem confident that um, they are. Uh, candidates will succeed uh, in becoming uh, the next leader of the ANC in Guadalupe Natal, which is the biggest province of the ANC and the country. And uh, we understand that you know there has been a lot of uh, uh, campaigning behind the scenes from reg- various regions. Uh, but in terms of each uh, leaders or both of them, the Ntunus, they have not been up front in the media or talking about the whole election uh, process or whether they want to stand or not, but uh, their silence has also said a lot, you know, because uh, I mean, it's understood that they they do want to contest for this position, and uh, judging by what their backers are saying, uh, it's likely that they will contest uh, this election. Yes, there have been uh, fears that, you know, this whole uh, campaigning and lobbying has also caused a bit of tension because these uh, these are the two comrades are, are, have been very close and they respect each other, uh, but now uh, it, the, there's that fear, you know, that the tension to the, uh, through the lobbying and campaigning may uh, actually cause uh, tensions in the whole province, okay. which is something that uh, they would not want to see because this is a province that has always uh, put, up, put on a united front when it comes to elect, electing leaders. So we'll, we'll see what happens at this conference. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, that's uh, our senior political reporter in Guazul Natal in Durban, Zanele Butelezi. Uh, more on this now. We're joined on the line by Zakelen Lovo, a political science lecturer at the University of uh, KwaZulu Natal. Mr. Lovo, their silence too loud, as you heard from uh, our reporter Zanele Butelezi. They've put up their hands and they said they're ready to lead the province. Talk us through that. Yes, um, you know, in the NC, uh, people don't uh, say they want to reposition the members who decide who they want. So in this case, we know that two names have been mentioned, that of Willis Nkun and that of Sen Nkun. Uh, and each one uh, 
PLE has accepted uh, to contest its position. So uh, at this particular point in time, it looks like it's going to be a contest between the two uh, judging by their silent instance of saying that they are all right, Mr. Dover, uh, the, the line is quite, is quite bad there, uh, but uh, let, let's continue nonetheless and, and see if it doesn't improve. But uh, reading uh, the, the newspapers and co- uh, comments and uh, all sorts of analysis, it, 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 it all points to a, a, a request has been made, for instance, to a younger Senzo Mkunu to at least give uh, uh, Mr. Willis Mkunu a chance to lead the ANC for this short period of time, and then he will take over uh, uh, after that. C- can you talk us through the, those kind of thoughts? Yeah, look, uh, um, Willis Mkunu is um, older than Senzo, as you know, and uh, because of his age and, you know, he's been very loyal to the ANC. And for many ANC supporters, uh, Mr. deserves to uh, become the chairperson of the ANC. Senzo Mkuno is still younger and he has a chance to lead the ANC later on. So I think those who support Willison Tune, and I know that uh, the MC that and the ANC, you can just come out publicly to say they support him. So those people want a certain to, to step aside and let Willison Tune lead because his tends to come anyway. Um, he's still younger and Willison Tune is much older now and uh, he's been serving the organization uh, with the according to many ANC supporters. So they feel this is his time and, and says we should just wait uh, until his time comes. Okay, thank you very much, Zakel Nzlovo, political science lecturer at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. We apologize for that poor line. Lots and lots of SMSs coming through as you heard that story about ESCOM. We spoke to ESCOM's Hilary Joffe there. I'll be reading your SMSs very shortly. It's 12.30 now, and it's time for the news headlines with Melanie Moses. All right, uh, shortly we'll be going to Nancy Richards. Uh, she's on between one and two with otherwise. But quickly, let me read some of your SMSs. Uh, this one saying that this is an old recycled story. Why can't the media call the, the then minister to answer? That's KB. Well, KB, uh, let me tell you that uh, the, 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 the court judgment is, is new. Uh, this story has been fought in court so that we get to know about it and how much was spent uh, or right, uh, how much uh, was the discount to BHP Billiton. So so it's a, that angle is, is new. Well, the story itself is not very new. Report this uh, smelter company and ESCOM for collusion. That's uh, Roger there. And uh, ask Hillary where the man who signed the contract uh, with ESCOM works for now. I believe he became a director at uh, Bulletin soon after the contract was signed. That's uh, AI in uh, AIMP or AI in uh, Bumalanga. Nancy is on the line. What's coming up on your Friday edition of uh, Otherwise, Nancy? Uh, on the show today, as the Reach for Recovery International Breast Cancer Support Conference comes to a close here in Cape Town, we're going to be talking to one woman in our My Story feature about her particular journey. She's a survivor and an activist. And with uh, Human Rights Day yesterday, today what we're looking at are the rights of the intersex individual to find out how they are violated or challenged in any way. And first up, another in our Friday series of women's organizations, groups, etc. 
locally and abroad. We're going to be hearing today about the Lupani Women's Centre that's in Zimbabwe. So join us if you can right after the news at one. Thanks, Pongi. Thank you very much, Nancy. The Free Market Foundation has come out against the relationship between government and the national carrier, South African Airways. Its executive director, Leon Lowe, says that there is no need for government to be involved in the airline business because it distorts the market and prevents the private sector from competing effectively. Earlier on, I asked Mr. Lowe, why are they calling for the South African government to leave SAA alone? There's no good reason at all why the government wants to own and run South African Airways because it keeps draining the government of literally billions of rands of uh, wealth every year to subsidize this failed, completely and perpetually failed public enterprise. And in order to keep it funded and to spend all the time and money and expertise trying to run the outfit, constantly choosing new chief executives, new boards, uh, so clearly a per- perpetual failure that the government has to divert billions of rands every year the equivalent of 150,000 RDP houses, many, many thousands of social grants are diverted every year into running this failed operation which the private sector is perfectly capable of and willing to run all over the world. And you did use the word national carrier uh, but just before I get on to that, the government, to understand now, is facing boycotts, demonstrations, riots, unrest for service delivery problems. And instead of concentrating and, and using the money, it takes money away from service delivery, away from social grants, away from education and health, and pumps it into this airline, which serves no useful purpose at all. It serves as no value to South Africa, no value to the government. In fact, it harms the government. But uh, the government so is not... I call it the national carrier is an old-fashioned term. Long ago, when countries were poor, having a national carrier or flag carrier was a source of pride. It's now a sign of being a backward country. Advanced countries have long since... Uh, uh, introduced what are called open skies, free competition and privatized airlines. But Mr. Lowe, the world. M- maybe let, let's, let's uh, uh, start here. Is the government breaking any law, any policy by uh, really intervening in how SAA is run? No, no, it's, it's not breaking any law at all. It's just being very silly. It's just doing something that's completely pointless. So it's no purpose. It actually harms the government and harm South Africa because it means we have inferior air travel and we have uh, wasted money and wasted government resources. The government itself has to spend a huge amount of time trying to run this operation. It should actually just hand it over to the employees in what's called an employee buyout. I would call it a giveaway. Just give it to employees, turn it into a BED operation and, and let it operate competitively and efficiently. Okay. Uh, that would be the sensible thing to do. But there's no law being broken. But uh, government and SAA can turn around and say, this is a national career and it provides a national service. It will set, uh, service routes, for instance, that are not particularly profitable, but are of a strategic importance to the country. Well, firstly, there is no such thing. That's just a nice word, but it has no meaning. Uh, South Africa is the most uh, popular country in the world. Uh, every airline in the world is perfectly happy to serve us. We can fly anywhere. 
And this word strategic is a meaningless term. It has no meaning at all. And if that's what the government wants to do, if there is such a thing as a strategic route, which there isn't, but let's assume for purposes of argument there is, then let the government run that route. But in fact it doesn't. What it does is it runs all the popular routes. And it leaves the little tiny routes to to uh, uh, commercial airlines and, and charter planes and that sort of thing. So it in fact does not fly any strategic routes. The only one it can possibly claim is strategic is Beijing, but there's nothing strategic about it. The thousands and hundreds of airlines fly to Beijing. So there's no reason why we should have a direct flight to Beijing. Mm. And uh, so it's just a word, you see. The word strategic sounds as if it has some substance, but it's actually meaningless. All right. Now, have you or are you going to ask the the likes of the UK, for instance, UK government, uh, USA government, China, to also get out of uh, the airline business so that uh, you put uh, the the, the issues that you're putting across with the South African government? Most of them are out of it, and those few that aren't, like China, for example, has private partners and leaves it entirely to the private partners. It doesn't get into here. But China has many, many, I think hundreds of private competing airlines now as it's giving up communism. Uh, UK no longer has any government-owned airlines. And so all of these other countries, all the leading economies in the world, no longer have governments that own airlines. They're now all private. In fact, you can't even join the European Union. You can't be a member of the European Union unless you have what's called open skies, complete free competition. And the result of that is virtually all government-owned airlines have been sold, and those that haven't been sold have private partners, and the government is what's called a sleeping partner. In other words, it leaves it entirely to the private sector to operate, even when it remains a shareholder. And uh, that's uh, Leon Lowe, Executive Director at the Free Market Foundation. The National Youth Development Agency, NYDA, has denied reports that it is disorganized and has defended its uh, 2.4 million rand funding of uh, a conference of the South African Youth Council. This follows a newspaper report that the NYDA plans to take, uh, the, uh, take to the press ombudsman, citing the report was sensational and baseless. Uh, for more on this now, we're joined on the line by Stephen Gubeni. He is the CEO of uh, NYDA. Good afternoon to you, Mr. Gubeni. Good afternoon. How are you? And afternoon to your listeners at home. All right. So we're fine. Thank you very much. What irritates you about uh, these kind of uh, reports, uh, particularly the one by Soweton? Yeah, the fact that uh, we believe that the NYDA is subjected to media torture unnecessarily. Good deeds by the NYDA are not reported upon. We are all still being held uh, against the the occurrences of 2010 on that festival. And the report particularly is a personal attack on the CEO of the NYPA for no apparent reason. Today I must indicate that Soetan wrote a follow-up article on page 2. And it writes an article at the last paragraph, very small thing, they apologize. They say on Wednesday uh, it is reported and we apologize for the inconvenience and we regret uh, whatever that, uh, the damage might have caused. But it's a very small article. And my contention is that already the world out there uh, sees the face of the CEO and sees a person that's disorganized, sees a person that is really reckless in terms of handling. 
but but uh, Mr. Ngubeni, I mean, 2.4 million rand is a lot of money, but uh, it's a really change compared to the 100 million rand that was spent to in 2010, and uh, you couldn't even account uh, for half of it. And uh, in that uh, conference that we come to know now as a kissing conference, you are also harboring one another lie. We have accounted in 2010, the end of the financial year, we have accounted for how the monies were used, and the Auditor General gave that a thumbs up. Uh, you, you accounted for a hundred million rand. You accounted for the full hundred million rand, uh, Mr. Ngubeni. We are accounted for all of it for a single cent, for every single cent across there. We have accounted. Remember, the person that is at a better position to actually say these people are accounting or not are two entities: the portfolio committee where we report and the auditor general. Mm. And both the entities have said yes, we are satisfied with what has been reported to us. What is still hanging on is in the media, where you guys don't want to really accept. That uh, some good work is being done by the NYD. All right. Now you are reporting. We, we, we are not challenging what you what you guys are doing at NYDA. We are not challenging that. We're talking about uh, specific issues here. This is what I'm going to do to you, Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Gubeni, right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna put mm. a, a pause right here, right now, and I'm gonna. Uh, get that report that suggests that you've accounted for each and every cent in 2010, and then we're going to continue with this discussion. How about that? Okay, that's fine. Thank you very much. All right, that's uh, Stephen Gubeni, the, the CEO of uh, the NYDA. You heard, he said 100 million rent accounted for each and every cent there. All right, my knowledge is different. But anyway, we'll be talking to Mr. Stephen Gubeni. I'm challenging him right now so that we, we talk with him next week. It's a, uh, or oh, at least maybe in a few weeks' time. How about that, Janet? I think it's worth going back to. It's worth going back to. All right. <laughs> I'll be coming to you right now. But uh, 23 March 2013 marks the sixth year since the S Hour initiative was launched. Businesses, uh, government and the communities are invited to turn out their lights for an hour on Saturday at 8.30. Uh, that's uh, in the evening to show their support for environmentally sustainable action. S Hour is reported as uh, the world's largest campaign for the planet and awareness of climate change. For more on this now, we're joined on the line by the WWFSA CEO, that's Monet Duplessis. No, Monet Duplessis is uh, not on the line. So, uh, yes, he is on the line. Mr. Monet Duplessis, are you on the line for us? No, he's not. All right. Um, we'll, we'll be asked to at least uh, switch off our lights for an hour on Saturday. That's uh, between uh, 8.30 and 9.30 in the evening. I will be switching mine off, uh, Janet. Yours? I will be. Um, I will actually be travelling at that particular time. So, so I don't. I can't really turn my car lights off, but I will turn. Uh, I will turn my house lights off. We've actually done it. Every, you know where I find it's good. I'm not sure whether it makes all that much difference, but I think the awareness that it creates, and particularly the awareness it creates amongst youngsters, amongst our children, and what they can do for the planet is great. Okay, Mr. Bonnet to Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. So almost six years, six years now since the initiative was launched in Sydney in 2007. Are you seeing any change? Well, you know, it's very difficult to, to see uh, change at the scale that, that we really would like to see it. But uh, certainly the change uh, that we can see is that about a million people participated in the first event only in Australia and now the event is, is taking place in 7,000 cities over uh, 150 or so countries, and last year hundreds of millions of people participated, among which 100 million Indians, uh, which is very teasing to see the traction that Earth Hour is getting in a country like that. Mm. And uh, in, in South Africa, what's been the response? 
In South Africa, we've had uh, a very good uptake. Uh, certainly the media, including yourselves, have been very supportive. Uh, and uh, we're hoping to uh, have more than 2 million people participate in this year's Earth Hour. Also bearing in mind that uh, it's not so much about the hour itself. Uh, that is only the symbolic switching off of lights. But in reality, it's more about switching over to changing our behavior in terms of how we engage with the environment, how we use electricity, how we transport ourselves, how we use water, and so on, uh, for every hour beyond Earth Hour. Mm. And uh, the hour itself, what does it entail? You know, uh, it's, uh, Earth Hour is a campaign that has gone so far and wide. It's actually something that one can do yourself, so you don't have to participate in any organized events. But across South Africa, we are aware of uh, several hundred events that are already being arranged either by municipalities, the city of Durban, city of Cape Town, the city of Johannesburg. There's, for example, a Cape Philharmonic Orchestra uh, performance uh, during Earth Hour at the Victoria and Alfred Waterfront. Um, you know, there are walks at the Johannesburg Zoo. There are storytelling events in uh, many of the South African national parks. So just a wide range of things. Uh, if one wants to find out how you can celebrate Earth Hour as mm. a private individual, uh, please go to the WWF website where you've given many, many ideas. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, that's a WWF SACO Morne Duplessis. It's Cora uh, 2 1. Right now, let's go to the dealing room and say good afternoon to Sudhir Singh of Sasfin Securities. How are the markets looking going to the weekend, Sudhir? Well, Bangi global markets are heading into the weekend on the back foot, with European stocks trading lower as investors monitor the situation in Cyprus, where it is looking more likely uh, that there will be a tax on bank deposits in an attempt to avoid a default. Over on Wall Street, uh, stocks suffered uh, their biggest drop in nearly a month uh, on the back of uh, escalating worries over Europe and disappointing quarterly earnings from Oracle. However, taking a look at the U.S. stock futures, it is pointing to a positive opening on Wall Street later today. Locally, the JSE has been softer today as Cyprus continues to weigh on sentiment with banks and, industri- and the industrial sector leading to the downside. In corporate news, Bidvest uh, has made an offer to increase its stake in Adcock to 60% in a cash and share deal worth around $700 million. Adcock has re- responded positively to this, share, the, to this news. Just taking a look at the local indices, we've got the Gold Index, which is up just over 1%. Resource 10 Index is up 0,3%. Industrial 25 index is down almost 2%. The financial index is down 0,3%. And overall, the market is down around 278 points, or 0,7% to 40,040. Stocks on the move? On the upside, uh, we've got uh, Adcock, which is up uh, 10, almost uh, 11% at 62 rands and 20 cents. Remgro is up 2% at 179 rands and 10 cents. Able is up half a percent at 30 rands. Mr. Price is up 0,2% at 117 rands and 50 cents. And on the downside, we have MTN, which is down almost 5% at 167 rands and 20 cents. Richmond is down 4% at 72 rands and 10 cents. Budvest is down almost 4% at 233 rands and 30 cents. And lastly, we have Woolies, which is down almost 1.5% at 70 rands and 10 cents. And your latest market indicators? Currently, we have gold, which is trading at $1,613.40 an ounce. Platinum is at $1,581.50 an ounce. Brand crude is at $107.30 per barrel. And finally, we have the Rand, which is the trading at 9 Rand 30 cents to the dollar. 
14 rand 20 cents to the pound and 12 rand 10 cents to the euro. That's it from me, Bongi. Have a good weekend. Enjoy yours. Uh, that's the dear thing of Sussman Securities. Janet Whitten, I'll come to you quickly. Let me just read two SMSs. We'll start saving electricity when we see ESCOM saving money by reducing their obscene salaries and bonuses. That's Joy in Guazul Natal. What ESCOM is doing has no justification, but the question is, is the government prepared to take action against the energy company? I doubt it. That's uh, Ahmed. This one, Bongi, what's uh, this Andrew guy saying about the age between the Mkunus? Was Bundebele older than Willis? Was Zuelimkize older than Mtunu? Uh, is it about age or uh, about who will lead the province? He mustn't insult our thinking and intelligence, please, from Bali, Ngamu, UKZ and PMB campus. Right, let's talk sports. What do we start with? Uh, do you want to start with? <laughs> I know we Are you a bit nervous about that soccer game? Don't you want to start with soccer? Okay, I was going to start <laughs> We'll start with cricket, but anyway, we'll find out, we'll find out tomorrow. Spiritual back. Uh, what's happening? Gordon Higginson's still got a lot of injury worries to deal with, so there's going to be quite a, quite a few changes in that team. I think there's going to be combinations that we haven't really seen. Apparently, he's got his starting 11. Mm. He made up his mind yesterday, um, but he's not telling any of us what his starting 11 looks like. My central African <laughs> Republic, we play. There are both on the log. They have won a game. We haven't. <laughs> yeah, so that's the problem. This is really, really, really important to us. I mean, remember, we 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 are in a group with Ethiopia, the Central African Republic, and Botswana. We have two draws so far. We haven't won a match Botswana in this group, draw. so it's really, really hard. That it's going to come back and bite us. The Botswana draw. Um, it's really important that we that we that we win this game because mm. then it puts us above the Central African Republic. Then le- at least it means we only have Ethiopia to deal with. But at okay. the moment, we're fighting against two teams. So, so it's, it's set for, for tomorrow in Durban. It is. And the, the match, by the way, between Ethiopia and Botswana takes place on Sunday afternoon. Okay. All right, Super Rugby, all the SA teams in action only tomorrow. Only tomorrow. There was only one game today. It was the Chiefs against the Highlanders. The Chiefs won that match 19-7. No big surprise there. Chiefs are second on the log. The Highlanders are below even the Kings at the bottom of the log. So <laughs> Uh, yes, um, we, won't do, we don't need to talk too much about that game. But there are some very interesting matches tomorrow. The Kings have got a tough one. Against mm. the Crusaders, uh, I just don't see how they can do it. I really don't mm, see how they I can do it. They've had all of this trouble this week about how many foreigners they can play and how many foreigners they can't yeah, play. Yeah. Um, they brought two of their foreigners home and sent two South Africans there. So it's been a difficult week for them. I don't see them coming through that. The Reds against the Bulls, I give that to the Bulls. I think the Bulls have got enough against the Reds, although it'll be tough. The Cheetahs against the Force. Now, the Force are not the strongest of the Australian teams. And the Cheetahs have had an absolutely amazing start to this um, to this season. So, I mean, if they can do another away win, that would be absolutely extraordinary. The Sharks against the Rebels. The Sharks must do that at the Shark Tank in Durban. And then the last match is the Stormers against the Brumbies. I think that could be the game of the weekend. That's I mean, that the, could be a fascinating game. Jake White has done amazing things with the Brumbies. The Stormers are coming together again. So, I think that could be a fabulous game. Mm. All right. We won the last round of the Sevens. I think, and uh, the Hong Kong Sevens a bogey one for us. It is. We did win in Las Vegas, but in, we've been playing at the Hong Kong Sevens for 20 years, and we've reached the final twice. We've never won it. So it is one of those ones that's really difficult. <laughs> so the, Australia have won it, and England have won it, and all sorts of funny teams have won it, but we've <laughs> never won it. And again, Paul True has, has got a completely odd team with him in Hong Kong because he's faced all sorts of injury worries. So he's had to change his whole tactics for this mm. game. He's got a, but he's got a very fast team. He 
hasn't got an experienced team, but he's got some real pace in this team. So instead of being the normal kind of physical, tough South African team, they take that through to sevens as well, not just 15s. He says he's going to use the pace that he's got with some of these players. They start today against Argentina, the last match of the day today. That'll be at about 20 past two. And then two matches tomorrow against Australia and Wales. So, I mean, even in the first round, these are tough matches. Mm. All right, let's talk cricket. That uh, first uh, Pakistani wicket was a, was an odd one yesterday. It was an odd one, obstructing <laughs> the wicket. But actually, when I looked at the replay, it was very fair because what, the, 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 the batsman cannot go off his line. Mm. If he just kept running straight and the ball had hit him, he wouldn't have been penalised. But he actually veers into the centre of the pitch and goes into the way of the ball to prevent and, it and from hitting the wicket. And he took a turn and checked where the... It looked... I'm not... I don't know if it was or not, but it's certainly on the face of it on the TV screen. It looked very deliberate. Yeah. Okay. So so that was it. So it's nicely poised now going to the final uh, ODI on Sunday. Two all going into the final ODI in Benoni on Sunday. Uh, we're probably going to be playing that match without Graham Smith because he has um, a recurring ankle problem that he that may again need surgery. We're not sure. Um, but it's but it's interesting. I mean, we've got Quinton de Kock is in that team, so they haven't mm-hmm. even decided yet whether they will replace him in the squad. Probably not. Um, given that David Miller scored some runs, Colin Ingram must be under a little bit of pressure. He didn't score again. Um, but, um, do yeah, guys are the wire. Do you think the ankle thing is an excuse? <laughs> No, okay. no, I don't think so. <laughs> All right, uh, was it Raikkonen who won the first? Uh, can you believe? It? I mean, is it <laughs> Raikkonen? And it, can I give you a piece of paper that's in front of me? Second yeah. free practice. Who's at the top of the leaderboard? Kimi Raikkonen. Oh my word! Amazing. I mean, He's that was one what that nobody. Uh, he is driving a Lotus. <laughs> Yes, Lotus, absolutely. You know, Lotus are one of those teams that have kind of also been, always been just behind the top teams, the Red Bulls and the Ferraris and the McLarens. Um, But, I mean, they really have, seem to have come together. Although, having said that, the other, the other Lotus driver is Romain Grosjean, and he's been, he was sixth in second free practice. He's kind of been middle of the, middle of the table. Raikkonen is driving out of his ears. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. It's not happening yet. Huh? Mercedes is not happening yet. No. No. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, um, ninth in the second practice, um, outgunned by his teammate Nico Rosberg, but he was only seventh, so they haven't quite got it together yet. The others are still there. Sebastian Vettel was second, and not expected, followed by the two Ferraris, followed by the other Red Bull. So, I mean, you know, second, third, fourth, and fifth are all very expected. Okay. Jenna Tritton, SABC Sport uh, Editor, Deputy Sport Editor, thank you very much. Uh, exciting weekend ahead. And now, time for Create with Michelle Constant. Create is proudly presented by Business and Arts South Africa, bringing the business of the arts and the art of business together. The 10th Annual Naledi Theatre Awards, supported by Auto and General Insurance, took place earlier this week at the Lyric Theatre in Johannesburg. The awards recognise and reward theatre productions, which were staged during 2012 in Gauteng. The big winner of the evening was The Miser, which walked away with four awards, namely Best Production of a Play, Best Director, Best Performance of an Actress in a Supporting Role, as well as Best Costume Design.
Sylvain Strike is the director and producer of The Miser, and it was the first time that Strike has been nominated as a director. I've directed many plays, but this is the first time this nomination has come my way, and I'm really feeling like the time has come for it. I don't know if I was ever deserving of it before, and perhaps I was this time, and there is a delight in somebody getting an award like this, simply because it means that we're getting standards of theatre higher and higher. Strike believes that the success of The Miser, which was written by French author Molière in 1668, can be attributed to how well South Africans related to the story and she believes that there will always be a demand for the classics. We really really feel that the classics are something people are craving and I'm not quite sure why. I think that their importance in our world, why they became classics in the first place, is something we really need to examine. Something like the miser which has got somebody who can't let go. He is someone who lost his wife who from that moment onwards became very scared of losing anything else and he projected everything he owned and loved onto his money. I think we are all at fault of getting more and more obsessive with materialism and this is a problem and actually a pandemic that is affecting our society today whereas looking inside and looking at family, looking at health, looking at love, looking at the little we have and celebrating it is something the miser could never do and so that's why somewhere the play spoke to so many. As the saying goes, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And this was evident when Atandwa Kani, son of theatre legend John Kani, was awarded Best Newcomer for his performance in the production Rhetorical. Until you're recognised for a piece of work initially or first time, until you are introduced into the world of the giants in such a ceremonious night, in such a big way, you'll always be a newcomer. I'll always be a newcomer in comparison to the John Kani who was sitting next to me. But you know, you've got to push yourself. Winning the Best New South African Script Award was Neil Coppin for his work Abnormal Load. Coppin describes the elements he believes needed to be included in a South African script. We are a very complex nation. There's a lot of nuance, a lot of interesting things going on between all of us. And I think a writer that really probes that and really offers people a different sort of insight into themselves. I think we're so used to the kind of conflict-based dramas where there's two polarities and they war against one another. But I think a current present-day South African existence is a much more complex, interesting place now. There's a lot more things going on. And I think a writer that maybe tries to explore those types of issues find something interesting and new worth saying. Coppin says that Abnormal Load has taken five years of his life and he's currently working on the stage play to take it to film. I like to sit on my stories for a long time and research and meet people and learn new things and grow and as you grow your story becomes richer. I'm excited now to keep expanding it. Being back in Dundee now in the battlefield towns I really realise that there's definitely a South African story there still worth exploring and I think a film that we haven't seen before as South Africans I'm really excited to make this thing now. Samantha Pio won the best female performance in a musical for Cabaret and she also won the same award at the Florida Cup Awards in Cape Town which took place the night before. I'm sort of more known here and I have you know an extensive career here so us going to Cape Town none of us actually thought we would win. Director Tembeni Johnny of Krugersdorp based Black Child Productions took the best community theatre award for the production Celo di Pojeso. Johnny says that he felt honoured winning at the Naledis after also winning at the Shasha Lazi Awards. It is quite interesting these days because I can see a large number of people are interested in doing community and it's been taken into consideration now. Like, I just won the best production for Shasha Lazi Award and it was very great. 
The doubling up of winners does raise the question as to whether there is a necessity for so many theatre awards around the country. We want to say well done to all the winners of the Shashalazi Awards, the Fleur de Cup Awards and the Naledi Awards and we look forward to another year of great theatre. I'm Michelle Constant. This feature was produced by Monique Sander and you can email me on create at barsa.co.za. Create, proudly brought to you by Business and Arts South Africa, creating new opportunities for business arts partnerships. Email create at baza.co.za. And uh, top stories this hour, ESCOM sells 9% of its electricity to BHP bulletins to aluminium smelters at less than uh, one-fifth of the tariff paid by an average consumer. BL specialist writer, Jan Dilange. The Electricity Act states that, you know, there are principles for, for tariffs, and two of those principles are, one, that a tariff cannot discriminate between consumers, and secondly, a tariff must cover the cost of generation. Now, clearly, these costs doesn't cover generation. All right, that's where we're going to have to leave it, but one question, what time is Earth Hour? It's 8.30 tomorrow. Thanks to the team who put it all together. We shall see you again next week, Monday. Enjoy the rest of your listening. And, of course, uh, uh, otherwise is up next with uh, Nancy Richards.